Radio Mano Papachango. How are you today? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. This will be the last episode uh, being broadcast from this little boat on Gran Canaria. I leave in a few days. It's been an interesting summer out here on the island. I've learned a lot. One of the things I learned is that no matter how much solitude I give myself, I the work I need to do will still expand to fill the space available to it. Uh, that's just seems to be the way things are. So yes, I'm scrambling here in the last few days to, uh, to finish up the manuscript, but it seems to be in pretty good shape. I think I've got everything more or less in order. We'll see. My editor will tell me that, but I think so. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about some interesting things recently. Uh, but before I get into that, let's talk about this episode. It's episode 200. When I did episode 100 with Cassie, we sort of uh, spontaneously said, hey, let's you know come back and we'll do episode 200. And she said, sure. And here we are. It's already episode 200. I don't know how that happened, but uh, here we are, or here I am on the island and Cassie's in Barcelona. So that's not going to happen right now. But I did save a special episode for this. It's the episode that I recorded in Southern Africa a couple of months ago when I was down there. Um, I went and did this safari for, I think it was 10 days that started in Windhoek, Namibia. Uh, we went all across Namibia. We stayed with um, some Kong San people. In um, I think that was in Botswana, and then we went uh, up through Botswana into the Okavanga Delta, which is a place of hippos and alligators and amazing bird life and um, all sorts of uh, animals up there. And then we went from there, I don't remember, further north, Visited a couple more game parks, and then we ended in Victoria Falls in uh, Zimbabwe. So this is definitely an episode where if you listen to this stuff on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever apps you use, uh, and you don't generally go to my webpage, this would be a good one if you're interested to go to my webpage because I'm going to upload some photos and some videos that I took on the trip. And uh, so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, um, there will be a lot more material on my webpage uh, related to this episode than, than to most of them. Uh, I'm also going to play some music, um, Nomvula, Nomvula, N-O-M-V-U-L-A is the name of the song, which translates to After the Rain. It's by a um, South African band uh, called Freshly Ground. And initially, I was just going to play the song because um, they sing in a language that includes um, some of this clicking, um, like the Kung San and like the uh, native language of the guest that uh, is in this episode, Willem, Willem, sorry, Willem, who was the guide on the safari. He talks about uh, some of the clicking language and 
You'll also hear some excerpts from a story that was told around the fire when we were in Botswana um, by one of the Kongsan people, and I recorded that. So you'll hear how, what the language sounds like. Um, anyway, I'm also going to play another song. Let's see, which is another African song I wanted to play for you. That song is called Na Ye, N-A-Y-E, and it's by the band Toto Bona Lokua, T-O-T-O, B-O-N-A, and then L-O-K-U-A. That's three guys um, who just recorded that one record together, I believe, including Richard Bona. He's the Bona in that. Um, I've played some of their music before. They're fantastic. Anyway, there will be links and all that up on my webpage. ChrisRyanPhD.com or TangentiallySpeaking.com that'll take you to the same place. So here's what I've been thinking about. And and this actually has just occurred to me when I was looking at this, uh, the first song, Namvula. It's a song I've always, I've really enjoyed this. I I don't remember someone turned me on to it a few years ago. It might have been Cassie's daughter who lives in South Africa and has very good taste in music. Um, but it occurred to me to play it because of this clicking language. And so there's that connection. And, and I don't, I didn't know what the song was about. So, um, I went and found the link and looked at the video and then there's a a video that has the lyrics in English. And it turns out the song is about, uh, sadness. It's about loss. It's about being raised by a single parent who was grieving for, his wife who had died when, when the singer was young and, um, and it's a song about pain. It's a song about suffering. And I've been thinking about that a bit recently because, um, I've got a friend who's going through some stuff and, uh, I've been thinking about the sort of situation that he's in with, you know, he's, he's at a stage of life where he's sort of, come to the end of a relationship a very important relationship he's a young guy and and he's he's suffering um and he he's not sure what to do not sure he can really go on and um because he's feeling the pain of the ending of that relationship so intensely that the idea of starting another relationship is kind of just overwhelming and seems self-destructive even in a way i think and um you know i can't give the guy any advice uh, because these sorts of things are beyond advice obviously but it did make me think about uh, a section in the book i was writing um, where there's a psych i quote a psychologist uh, named edith weisskopf jolson and she says our current mental hygiene philosophy, an unfortunate phrase, I must say mental hygiene philosophy. Um, But anyway, it stresses the idea that people ought to be happy, that unhappiness is a symptom of maladjustment. Such a value system might be responsible for the fact that the burden of unavoidable happiness is increased by unhappiness about being unhappy. Do you follow that? So what she's saying is, Because our world tells us that we should be happy all the time, and unhappiness is a sign of some sort of sickness, because of that, 
the unavoidable happiness, which we're all going to feel sometimes, is increased because we're unhappy about being unhappy. Unhappiness, in other words, feels like a failure. It feels like, you know, in a world where all the advertisements are telling you, be happy, buy this. Oh, you're not happy? Get this. This pill, this car, this food, this house, this vacation, that'll make you happy. It's being dangled in front of us like a fucking carrot in front of a goddamn donkey. Yeah, that'll make you happy. That'll make you happy. Get happy. Be happy. Why aren't you happy? Look at my Facebook feed. I'm full of happiness. Look at my Instagram. I'm in beautiful places all the time. Oh, look at all the smiles. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's always smiling in my life. I'm always smiling. Fuck that. Fuck that. It's complete bullshit. We all know in our hearts it's bullshit. Everyone knows we're not as happy as we pretend to be, and we're certainly not as happy as everyone else is pretending to be. And that's not because of any personal failure. That's because of the nature of existence. I hate to say it, but it is. Everything. I mean, read read up on your Buddhism. Everything ends. Now, I'm not as dour as buddhism is because buddhism says nature the nature of life is suffering suffering is you know the inherent nature of existence i don't buy that i don't buy that because honestly i think you know yes some suffering is the nature of existence is part of the nature of existence there's no way to avoid that but look at the ratio I mean, really, let's look at the ratio. These people who are fucking whining all the time about how hard life is, and for some people it is. I'm not talking about people, you know, who actually, um, you know, have a much harder road than I've had. But when I, I look at my life, I say, Jesus, dude, shut the fuck up. I mean, yeah, I'm going to die. Okay, we're all going to die. But we're all likely to live you know what into our 70s at least maybe 80s even i'm 54 if i die tomorrow what's the ratio of pleasure to pain in my life really a million to one it depends how i die right but i haven't suffered a lot i haven't i don't know when's the last time i suffered i broke my finger playing basketball that hurt like hell you know but uh I mean, I still play basketball, right? Uh, I don't know. what What is the ratio of suffering to pleasure in life? We die quickly. And if we don't die quickly, it's our choice, generally, right? I mean, most of us, if we really wanted to, could just put a fucking bullet through our heads, or we could jump off a cliff, or we could drive into a tree, or, you know, there are a lot of ways to go out quickly. So when I get that diagnosis, if I do, I hope that I'll uh, decide to go out with a splash, as it were. Um, Some people might see that as a sign of cowardice. I don't. I think like, hey, why not? Let's jump out of a fucking airplane without a parachute. That'd be an interesting way to go, right? Spend the last 30 seconds of life fucking flying until you're not. And then what? And then it's a flash. It's over. There's no suffering there. 
So I don't really, I don't, I don't buy the the whole Buddhist like life is just unmitigated suffering thing, and I also don't buy this Western idea that we should be happy all the time. Happiness is a is a byproduct. It's an occasional, transitory state. It's not a place that you go and stay. So don't worry, be happy. Fuck you, Bobby McFerrin. All right, don't worry, be happy. Um, you know, thinking about this guy's situation, I. I return to this this image, this this insight I came to many years ago, which I think I've probably mentioned on the podcast, which is this this sense that people think that life is a lake, but it's really a river, right? And thinking it's a lake means that we think we can find this comfortable spot. It's not too far from the shore. It Maybe we find this warm little pocket. There's a nice view of the moon. And you just like swim out to your spot and you just stay there and you say, yeah, I'm just going to hang here. This is it. This is where I want to be. In life, maybe you get a good job. You got a nice relationship. You got a comfortable apartment. And you say, okay, this is it. I'm just going to stay here. I'm here. I'm going to stay here. No, you're not. You can't stay there. You're in a fucking river. That relationship's going to change. That job is going to change. Your boss is going to quit. Some asshole's going to get his job instead. You're going to get bored with it because you get good at it, and then it just loses its charm. Your girlfriend's going to get pregnant or not. Your boyfriend's going to fucking get fat or, you know, what? things are going to happen. Things always fucking happen because you're in a river. You're not in a lake. And the thing you got to face, the thing we all have to face is that we can't avoid the suffering, but we can adjust the ratio. We can have a really good time for a long time before we have to pay up. That's right. Straight up. Pay up. Pay up. Pay up. nigga. From East Point to Shaolin. Y'all better know that. That's right. Y'all better know that. You're in a river, people. Turn, face downstream, forget this lake bullshit. Watch out for those rocks, figure out the currents. Navigate this motherfucker, it's the only way. And to decide not to even start, to decide to just sit still, well, the ratio is not going to work out better for you that way. That's, stasis is suffering. You know, people think they can stay safe, stay home. That's not going to work. That doesn't work. The nest gets too small. I was telling somebody recently how sometimes I feel like, you know, like life is, my life, human life is like those crabs. I think they're called hermit crabs that um, they don't have their own shell, but they find a shell on the bottom of the ocean floor. I guess that's redundant on the ocean floor. And they they get in there and then they they sort of run around in that shell for a while. But the problem is the crab grows. And eventually the crab grows to the point where the shell doesn't fit anymore. So then you're like, oh, fuck, now what do I do? I got to find another shell. But it could take a while to find a shell that's, that's the right fit, you know, that's not so big that I can't carry it. And but it's big enough that I can fit into it and and grow for a while before I have to do this again, you know. And so there's this mad scramble. There's this period of incredible vulnerability when you're running around on the ocean floor with no shell, no protection. And 
you're looking for shelter. You're looking for a place to, a way to feel safe again. But sometimes you find out later that that was the period where you grew the most. That was the period that was most interesting and where you felt, strangely, the freest. Feeling is a funny thing, right? Because we we sort of act like the only legitimate experience of life is while we're living it. But in fact, a lot of life is experienced after you've lived it. A lot of life is about looking back on what you've done or haven't done. I think young people don't understand that because they haven't they haven't felt that yet. But a lot of the experience of being alive is reflective, if that makes sense. And I think, it, you know, we understand that because we spend so much of our time watching other people on television and movies and reading about other people in books. And so our experience of our own lives is the experience of vicariously projecting ourselves into someone else's life. So we do that with media all the time. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that a big part of life is sort of watching the movie of my own life. And that that's a big, I think as you get older, that becomes a bigger part of your life. So when you're young, do shit that's crazy, that's interesting, that's risky, that's that you're going to be able to look back on later and enjoy because that's also your life. You see what I mean? So what you're doing in your youth is not only valuable for, for that moment, for what you're experiencing in the moment, it's valuable in a way that you can't even imagine yet. It's valuable because the you of 20, 30, 40 years from now is going to look back and savor all that shit again and again and again. And maybe, maybe the pleasure that you'll have, the satisfaction that you'll have later in your life at looking back at yourself and saying, yeah, that kid had some fucking balls or ovaries or whatever it is you want to use. But that that kid lived. That kid took risks. And that makes it so much easier um, for the rest of your life. Of course, none of this is to say which direction anyone should go. So this is not to be confused with specific advice. If my friend happens to be listening, I know he listens to the podcast sometimes. I'm not saying what you should do. I'm just saying sitting still and waiting out the storm of your life isn't a good option. Forward. Whatever that means, forward is the way to go. Okay. I have to admit that I recorded an intro to this and somehow fucked up and recorded it on the wrong mic. And so I had to delete the whole thing. So I'm not sure what I've already said and what I haven't already said. Um, so pardon me if I repeat myself. This is this episode is with Willem. Willem. <laughs> it's funny. I think I fucked up on his name in the earlier one, too. Anyway, Willem. Uh, is uh, was my guide in Namibia on this on this safari that I took, and uh, he's a really interesting cat. I was very happy to have a chance to sit down and talk with him. I also recorded. I'm throwing a bunch of shit into this, so there's going to be some more music. Um, uh, what's it called? Toto Toto Bono Luoka is the name of the band. The song is called Naye. 
N-A-Y-E. I'll play that a little later. I'll also play a recording I made of a woman telling a story by the fire one night. Um, She's um, a Kung San woman. So you get to hear some of that clicking language. Um, I'm also going to play a little bit of a drunken conversation we had (laughs) by the fire with some of the people uh, who were also on the safari. They heard me out there. I was out recording night music or night music, um, night sounds, the the frogs and the insects and all that. I'll play some of that as well. Um, and I came back, I had the the recorder in my hand and, and everyone was sitting around the fire getting shit faced and what's that? And I told them and I told them about the podcast and, and then I passed the recorder around and asked them to, uh, I think I asked them to say, welcome to tangentially speaking or something. But as you'll hear, I, I got a little more than that from some of them. Uh, so shout out to all of you who were on the bus there with uh, with us, with Willem, Willem and me. Uh, most of them are German, I think, but there are a couple Swiss and I don't know. Uh, anyway, so you'll you'll hear from some of them. That's it. So you're going to hear frogs. You're going to hear music. You're going to hear drunken tourists. You're going to hear a Kung San woman um, telling a story by the fire. You're going to hear a few songs uh, from Africa. Uh, you're, and I'm going to end not with my normal, hey, please give money, blah, 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 ending. I'm going to end with what is probably my favorite song in the world. Um, you know, if I do, if you hear that I jumped out of an airplane without a parachute, this is the song I'd like you to to play and uh, just listen to and, you know, think of my demise. It's called Pygmy Lullaby. And it's by Jan Garberek, who plays uh, saxophone. And it's based on field recordings that were made of some pygmy um, songs. I think the pygmies are mainly in Congo. Um, and uh, and it, it might even be insulting to call them pygmies at this point. I'm not sure. But if so, please forgive me, any pygmies who happen to be listening. Um, in any case, this song is based on a traditional lullaby that they sing themselves around the fire. And I think it's just one of the most beautiful pieces of music that I know. So I'm going to end with that. Pygmy Lullaby by Jan Garberek. And you're also going to hear uh, Nom Vula. And you're going to hear Na Ye. Na Ye. Right. Okay. And you're going to hear frogs. And you're going to hear crickets. And you're going to hear drunken tourists. And you're going to hear eventually... Willem uh, talking about the life of a safari guide in Southern Africa. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time from, damn, where will I be? I guess I I might be in New York next time I record one of these. I think I'm going to skip next week since it's Labor Day and a lot of you won't be listening anyway. So maybe I'll skip a week, take a week off, and then I'll, I'll get back to you. But I'll probably be in New York next time you hear from me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and your love and your emails and everything else you're sending me. And I'm sending it right back at you. Bye. I'm in Namibia and I passed the border to... Where am I? I'm in, I'm in Botswana. I passed the border a few times in the last days. And I just wanted to see some fucking hippos. And I didn't see anyone. So I bought the wine, a bottle of 
South African white wine, which was named the Fat Bastard, with a funny-looking hippo on it. And, well, today I saw the hippo, so I think I shouldn't have bought that wine because now I'm quite drunk. And now I'm here with a chocoholic red wine from Dr. Christopher Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, and start again. What, where are we? Welcome to. Welcome to Botswana. Oh no, <laughs> tangentially speaking. Ah, welcome to tangentially speaking. This is Christian speaking. I'm from. <laughs> we're, and we're we're sitting around the fire in Botswana, and it's late, and we're probably keeping people awake. So, uh, we'll just do this last episode. Uh, Yes, hello. Yes, hello. What I'm saying. <laughs> this is Ida. Hello. This, this is Ida. And I'm from Denmark and I'm joining the fire. And uh, yeah. And welcome. And welcome to Tim Gentle Speaking. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I can't say it. Come on, Tanya. Hi. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm also just <laughs> enjoying life here in Botswana. Uh-huh. And welcome to Tangentially Speaking. Nice. Welcome to Tangential Speaking. <laughs> Hi, this is Sabina. Oh, live, from uh, live from Botswana. Live from Botswana. Live from Botswana. News from Tangentially Speaking. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you. With an American accent. That was good. And you want to say your name? I'm Katya. Ka- Katya. What's your last name? Kumel. What's that mean? <laughs> Common, cumin. Cumin. <laughs> she's named after cumin, ladies, and she's a spicy girl. Are you a yes. spice girl? A German yeah. spice girl? Yeah, yeah, I'm a German spice girl. Oh, great. All right, thank you. Any, you have anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, welcome to Tangential Speaking. <laughs> Bend 
Falls, Zimbabwe, with South Africa's greatest guide. Namibian. Namibian guide. Yeah. Southern Africa, I meant. Yeah. yeah. Southern Africa and South Africa. I, I get them a little mixed up. A little mixed up, yeah. So I'm here with Willem. Willem or Willem? Willem. Willem, the yeah. German pronunciation. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's Afrikaans pronunciation, uh -huh. Willem. Yeah. yeah. The name was Wilhelm, which was German, more German pronunciation, but I changed it to. W-I-L-L-E-M, Willem, yeah. And last night, I don't know if it was last night, you were telling us about your first name, which meant lonely man? Yeah, um, it came from, uh, I'm the firstborn of my mother. And uh, when my mother got pregnant, she was really afraid to tell my grandmom, the parents, and uh, uh, then till the last minutes, because she is quite a heavy body built woman, so nobody could recognize that she was pregnant as well. Wow. 
So till the last minutes I was born, she had it, the story. And uh, then my grandmother was outside doing something around the kitchen and she heard a baby crying in the room. So she ran in and that was Willem. <laughs> and that's the name came from lonely men because my mother, there was nobody helped her. She was the only one in the room and that came from uh, the what happens, you know, the history, how I was born. So nobody helped your mother deliver? To deliver, yeah. She was alone? She was alone. I mean, in that days, most in our family, uh, our uh, grandparents were very experienced. You, half of my family was born actually just at home. Yeah. Not in hospitals, but for now, nowadays, you know, when a woman is pregnant, she must go to the hospital so that the doctor can do a thorough checkup. Right. Yeah. But even before the hospital, they would have help, right? They would have other women who would help yeah. them and be with them. Yeah. So to do it completely alone. To do it completely alone, you know, she, she just take chances. Maybe I was not on the side of the grass today. Yeah. Yeah. But then things would go well. That's She's why. a strong woman. Yeah. And That's how many why. more children did she have? Um, I'm the firstborn, and then I have another ten brothers and sisters, whereby we have lost two brothers and then one sister. Mm. So we are only now three uh, brothers left and five sisters. Can I ask you why, how they died? Uh, the, yeah, my sister actually uh, passed through a knife attack from her boyfriend. Yeah. And the two, both of them passed away through tuberculosis. Tuberculosis? Yeah. Oh. The first, he, the elder brother, he also didn't use the medicine the prescribed according to the doctors and then the last one he was the second no he was the last last one he we buried him last year he also came and then they diagnosed that it was tuberculosis but then they gave him the medicine he went back to the farm or the village where my mother is and when the medicine get finished he didn't come back and then later on he get a a very huge what or like a wound growing here on his neck and then through that operations he couldn't make it yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry so I just buried him last year yeah this was the when you were telling me you had to work yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah. I mean in our culture of the native tribes is uh, the family is quite extended you know, it's kind of a long chain of family. So uh, the one which is healthy, which is still working today, he is looking or taking care of the rest of the family, right. which is not healthy living, you know. And uh, yeah, and mostly the grannies and the mothers will start farming. But uh, my parents, my mom with my stepfather, they were working for a farmer, a German farmer for years. But when they get old, the, the farmers, they just want to 
replace them with young ones and then they have nowhere to go. That's how they came to Omitara now, mm, where they the are village. like a resettled place. Uh -huh. And then from there on, government is buying farms and then they put them into that farms. Yeah. What was Namibia called before independence? Namibia was South West Africa. Southwest Africa. Because it was ruled or it was um, under the hands of the South Africa South African government, right. which was running, then they called it the Southwest Africa. But it's actually north of South Africa. Yeah, it is north of <laughs> South Africa. But just to make the name, yeah. uh, they wanted to do it one name. Yeah. Then they said it's Southwest Africa, because it's South Africa, the other one. But and we just celebrated independence a couple of days ago. Yeah, the yeah. independence was the 21st of March. Yeah, and how many month. years? 29? Uh, it's 26? now 26 years. 26 years of independence. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and you were telling me that uh, it's going okay. Is uh, It's the third president? Uh, yeah, um, it, it goes well. Uh, you know, we get independent from our first president, which was Dr. Semne Yoma. And then after his turn, we get another one, Hifikipui uh, Pohamba. And recently now we have Hage Kengop. And uh, yeah, we are crawling, you know, we are still a small country when it comes to uh, development-wise. But it's, it's doing well, you know. The one uh, bad thing is corruption is still not under control. That's yeah. one thing. But otherwise, I mean, if you compare, as we have traveled through Botswana, Zimbabwe, which is countries which have been independent years ago, uh, we are doing well. Yeah, I think you're doing better. If at yeah. least if you have a peaceful transition yeah. to new presidents, that yeah. tells you it's yeah. at the top it's okay. Yeah, it's yeah. not just military. Yeah, I mean the presidents, all of them wanted to fight out corruption, but it's it's corruption is something which sometimes you don't really see. You know, why do you think corruption is so bad? It's uh, unemployment. It's just because people are desperate. Unemployment yeah. and people are desperate. Yeah, you know. Even somebody working, he, he needs more money. So that's where corruption comes in. What do you think, are there still a lot of people in Namibia who don't need jobs because they live from the farm and the animals? There is, there is still, but again, as I said, you know, with the culture of the indigenous people is uh, you work while you are, uh, your body is still strong and then the time of retirement that's when you actually face the farming which is mostly the cattle farming and then also in the family units grandparents or the parents are the ones which is permanently settled at the cattle post and then the younger ones is going out for working and then they have to take care of the rest of the family at the farm but nowadays, you know, there's also lots of Namibians which is in commercial farming because mostly we are just practicing communal farming. But today, there's a couple of really indigenous or the native people which is in commercial farming as well. Mm -hmm. It's quite expensive, but they do. They do. Mostly ministers have got their own farms, but there's some couple of 
guys, which is really in that business of commercial farming. Yeah. I should mention that uh, the helicopters that people are hearing, listeners are hearing, are the tours that are going over Victoria Falls. Where, how far are we from the falls? Less than a kilometer, I think. Uh, yeah, less than, uh, I think a kilometer and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here, yeah. So, sorry for the noise, but it's not much we can do to stop the helicopters. Yeah. So, uh, you're from, your family is from which tribe? I am from the Damara tribe. Damara. Yeah, and uh, we are using the Klik language, which is called the Kwekwe language uh, recently. And uh, uh, they sometimes um, according to the history of Namibia, I will say uh, they don't know from where the Damarasef came from. But then if you go into the Damara history itself, then Damaras were there when things were happening to the eyes of the whites, I will say. Uh, that's why today, you know, they called they assumed or they make a mistake with the Bushmen and the Sun people. Uh, the Bushmen can be anybody which was in the bush where, when the white people came into the country and they met them, so they ran away and they said, oh, there's some bush people here, or Bushmen. And that's where the name actually came from, but they are Sun. But we are Damaras with the four clicks. <laughs> If I try the clicks, it might break your... No, go ahead. Okay, we have uh, four clicks, and that clicks is from, uh, if I do it from the hardest to the to the soft one, or let me do it from the soft to the hard. So you have the click, you have the click, you have the click, and you have the click. <laughs> That's the four clicks we're yeah. using in our wow. mother tongue. But then the clicks is not really, it's just something which will make out the weight. So they are hardly not um, a, 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 like a consonant. It, it is not. It's not, so, it's yeah. not a consonant. It's not, no, it's not a consonant. So if you remove the clicks from a word, can you still understand it? Yeah. I mean, let's say ah uh, is to drink. Right. But if you put the click to that ah, then you say ah, which means to wash. Ah, you see? okay. Right, so, right. But if you just use the alphabetic letters and you say, okay, ah, ah is just an ah. But then you have different... Um, what must I say, different sounds for just one, like an A, to make out what you mean. You right. say, let's say in A, you say, ah, drink, ah, cry, ah, is when you agree on something. Ah, uh, right, it's tonal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, you, you just change the tones right. with the same word, and it means right. the different. And then you add a click, so is there, so uh, wash is... Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is there the same ah, uh, but with different clicks at the yeah. beginning? Yeah, okay, let's ah. Uh, uh -huh, let's wash. wash. And then we ah, uh, it's now when you hang on the line. So that's <laughs> not click again. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so it's related. Yeah. Uh, wow. Are there, is there like a word with three or four different clicks in the word, or normally it's just one click? No, you can have, it, it depends on how you use the sentence. But one word can have actually different clicks. 
but in the sentence you get you can also get all four clicks in a sentence it, it depends on what you mean with that sentence yeah yeah wow do you, are there people who are like i mean i imagine everywhere in the world some people are born with uh genetic problem in their mouth that they, yeah. they talk yeah. with a strange sounds or something yeah in your culture it must be very difficult for it, them it is still you know it's it's uh, the, when it comes to things like that it's all around the world you know whereby somebody uh, have got a thought tongue he can't pronounce the things it's yeah. the same thing in our tribe as well but you are born with the language you know yeah. when i was a young boy uh, start talking you you just start talking with your mother tongue it's yeah. easy yeah. and then when you went to the school you just learn the uh, the part of writing you know how you write the clicks and yeah how many languages do you speak i speak damara is my mother tongue and my father is from herero origin so i have they said when i was born my herero father took me and then my grandmom was not happy so she took me back mm. because there was a brother of my grandmom who adopted me didn't really want the hereros to took me so they took me back but when i came back from the hereros they said it's it's quite unusual they said i was very fluent in herero mm. but then i grew up with my damara family uh, with my um, grandfather who adopted me and uh, uh, then I couldn't really speak Herero from that time on, so I forget few or the real uh, Herero link, but I'm still few words in Herero. And then I took German for six months when I went to secondary school. And then Afrikaans was actually officially uh, introduced by South Africa as a national language in Namibia before independence and uh, then today is English. So English, um, it's the official language. And luckily I went to a secondary school where my uncle was a vice principal, which was English medium that time. It was a private school. So that's how I get in English. And then just with tours, I pick up few words of France, Italian, uh, Chinese, and that's just uh, from doing tours with these nationalities, I've picked up some words, you know, Mexipuku, Gracia Mila, things like that. <laughs> yeah, so you, you must have a, I mean, you, you've met hundreds of people Hundreds of people, yeah. Doing these tours. Yeah. It's, uh, what, the average size is ours, like 10, something like that? Average, yeah, it's 10. We're also doing tours for Dartmouth College. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, which is more on environmental studies. Uh, Students and lectures coming through Namibia, uh, they assume Namibia is all desert. So they're more doing researches on desert or more environmental studies on the desert of Namibia. And uh, we might do a trip with 24, with two trucks as well. Mm. It comes every year, actually. All American college students? All uh, American. No, the students might be different cultures, but uh, oh, okay. the, the Dartmouth College is in, in America, yeah. And they organize it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So what, uh, do you have a favorite part of Namibia or of Southern Africa for you? I mean, if you were recommending someone wants to come and explore, is there a particular region that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, in Namibia, if you do a, 
a 10-day explore, which mostly people wants to do. Uh, that's the best tour, which is actually also done by Wild Dogs. Uh, that's one of our scheduled tours, uh, which is including some cultural activities and as well as our biggest national park in Namibia or I will say second biggest because we have got Namib Nuklov which is the biggest national park uh, but they have huge numbers of animals animal wise Etosha, Etosha National Park and then you go through the Damara land there you will actually see the climate changes of Namibia you know it gets hot dry but beautiful landscape when it comes to mountain formations, a different kind of rock formations. And then you go towards the Atlantic Ocean after, you know, the desert. And uh, then you can enjoy some activities. After that, you go to Sesrim, and that's one of our dunes, mm. the highest dunes in the world. So if you do that trip, you have got actually the round of Namibia, and uh, we have the second biggest canyon in the world, which is Fish River Canyon. So you might add a few more days to explore the whole Namibia, and that's really good in terms of Namibia. Uh, when it comes to Southern African countries, uh, we do trips through the Delta, and that's you know where everybody wants to see the Delta, experience the Delta. Uh, and most commonly people want to see animals uh, which is not always a good luck but then it ends to the mighty big falls where we are now and that's actually a highlight of the uh, trips through the southern african countries yeah. and that's the only countries we have done through trips with wild dogs yeah yeah so your country has i mean it's not only changed its name in your lifetime it's changed its government it's changed in your lifetime you must have seen the whole world change. yeah luckily i was still uh, an open eye boy at that time when things were happening uh, namibia we have lost uh, some comrades through the fights uh, before the independence but we didn't really have a war with independence of Namibia and then I have seen lots of changes you know um, in truly talking the the apartheid system even as a young boy you could really see with your eyes uh, the shops were not allowed that you have to get in as a black person for shopping you stay outside you just order what you want and then somebody will give you something through the windows and stuff like that the toilets were signs of black and white whereby today is men and women that time was black and white signs and yeah were the police so, all white yeah police were all white police were there were also some black forces in police but it was ruled by the white i mean over over i mean the, the most majority was was whites yeah do you feel I, I imagine if I grew up in a system like that, I would have some anger that would yeah. never go away. Yeah, but uh, I mean, we, our country with independence, they said we can, we will forgive them, but we'll never forget. It will take, you know, generations 
to really forget about that, what was happening. Uh, and then that song has been sing in the minds of most of the Namibians, and then people are, are calm with that, you know. Mm. You, you still think about that, but then in yourself you think like, what must I worry, because now we are actually ruling our own country, so you'll be proud of that, and then you can forgive them, you know, that's how it works in Namibia, yeah. Do you think, is that largely because of Nelson Mandela? Um, yeah, also Nelson Mandela has made a very big change when he get into power. Uh, because you will see, okay, this is our brother, and whatever the South Africans have done is actually to the certain tribe which was ruling the country that time. But when Mandela took over, uh, lots of things even changed. You know, the wolf is by our big uh, harbor was in the hands of South Africa. Mm. But then we get it back as part of Namibia as well. So lots of things have changed. You know, we are having our own government. We are running, you know, let's say in terms of communal farming as well. Uh, that time the government was doing everything, you know, bringing diesel, put up uh, diesel pumps to pump water out from the boreholes. But today they try to get people involved, you know, mm. people for themselves, by themselves, and they yeah. have changed to conservancies. Right. So conservancies actually include whatever resources in that community is for them, so they have to take care of the resources. And that's, that's yeah. what, what, what's good things changing for Namibia as well, yeah. Have you met um, any black Americans who were here to do tours? Um, yeah, I have several times on my tours. I have met uh, Americans, yeah, yeah. My wife is, uh, I told you she's from Mozambique. Yeah. And her family is part African and part from India. India, okay. So when we're in the U.S., most people think she's black. Mm. And also in the sun, she gets very dark. Yeah, yeah. And she, and I have also have a friend from Congo who lives in yeah. uh, Canada now, but she mm. lived in the U.S. And they, they find it very uh, confusing, the black Americans. Yeah. Because my wife says, Black Americans don't seem to be proud. Yeah. But for her in Africa, it's yeah. like, yeah, you're black, you're white, yeah. but the and there's of course there's lots of racism in yeah. Africa. Yeah. But what she says is growing up that the racism is on the table. Yeah. It's not yeah. hot hidden away. Hidden away. Yeah. It's right there. And yeah. and so for her that's much easier mm. because it's honest in a way, yeah. you know, no one yeah. is pretending it yeah. didn't happen. Yeah, it's, it's the same through Southern African countries, I would say, it's, it's, a, it's, it's honesty. Uh, but, uh, and then again, politics as well, you know. Uh, when you say, I mean, in Namibia, uh, you might be arrested to say you, you are black, you know, to somebody by racism uh, but depends on how you use the word as uh, well you know yeah if you come and you say you black guys then decide or whatever you know the kind of root situations or root way of 
pronouncing that you might be arrested straight. Huh? Yeah, it's against the the regulations of the country. Huh? Yeah, but I mean, it's it's honest, you know. Yeah. It, it is on the table, as, as you said as yeah. well. Yeah. And is there the same sort of uh, tension between different tribal groups? Uh, the tribal groups, uh, yeah, South Africans have done everything so that they can overrule or rule the country. Yeah. Uh, they have segregated the black tribes as well, the native people. And then I remember the time when we were young boys, there was Herero location, Obambo location, um, the Damara location, Nama location in Vinduks, you know, the different tribe segregation. So even we the boys were fighting, you know, when we play soccer, we just meet at one place, but then we were fighting, or if the Hereros come through our location and stuff like that, you know, and that was just the divide and rule system. Yeah. of the South Africans, but nowadays, you know, it's, it's, it has been something of the past. Yeah, people are interacting, you can marry a woman, you mm. can marry whoever you love, you know, you can mm. marry, it's not like kind of, the tribes are still proud, you know, Damara will be proud to marry his own tribe, things like that, but depends on the two who, is, who, who meet and fell in love, yeah. yeah. That's great. It sounds like Namibia is doing really well for such a young country to yeah. overcome some very yeah. deep problems. Deep problems, yeah. And there's not much money. It's, it's not a rich country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what, what also brings the corruption in is uh, it's, it's money. I mean, the country is not rich. Uh, the population is not that big. That's one good thing, you know. We are only... we were, just before independence of Namibia, we were about 1.5. Now we are making about 2.2 wow. million. So that's tiny. That's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. a fraction of a one city in most places. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's, sure. that's good. Yeah. Was AIDS a big problem here? AIDS uh, becomes a big problem. There was years where AIDS was actually recorded as most. Uh, disease who killed our people but then the government have done some awareness uh, programs you know contribute condoms for free and it was always advertised and uh, you know they bring workshops uh, to teach people about AIDS and things like that now the numbers actually are not that high some parts or some regions of Namibia is still but uh, it everybody's aware of AIDS I will say except uh, maybe young gener generation, which is just, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a little bit under control, I will say, yeah. yeah. So, because I think in, in South Africa and Mozambique, yeah. it's yeah. still a big problem. It's still a big problem. Yeah. And all this is, you know, unemployment and, yeah, because the girls will sell, them, uh, sell themselves for money, and all this brings diseases spread into the nation.
suele que lo es mucha Mutagiwa que umama wa my grandfather took me with age of I think about four 
and uh, he was working for a German farmer and this German farmer actually supply shelter for his workers. Oh, okay. So luckily we didn't really stay in a, a wooden hut. Uh, we stay in a, a proper house uh, and then when we moved, you know there was a time they call it the Odendal Plain and Odendal that time was one of the ministers for lands and resettlement I will say. And then when Odendal Plain came in, there was farms or communal land uh, uh, given to people who wants to do farming. And my grandfather was having lots of livestock on somebody's ground. I mean, the men he was working for. So we have to move. That's how we moved to the western part of Namibia, a place called Spitzkobe. And then when we get there, it was an abundant kind of a farm. Or a, yeah, I will say it's a farm which was owned by a German owner at that time. Uh, and there was a proper house at that farm. So that's, we just get into that house. We with the permission of the, of the government that time. And then, yeah, I mean, I have experienced sometimes if we visit family or relatives, uh, we should stay in that wooden huts, but luckily we went into a proper house again when we moved to the Spitzkobe. Yeah. So you're, I imagine within Namibia, you're a very unusual guy to travel as much as you've traveled and know so many foreign people. Yeah, um, yeah, I was teaching, you know, like an assistant teacher after I, I was done with my school, which I didn't finish. I made it up to standard eight, which was, which is grade 10 today. And both my grannies passed away that time. So there was nobody who could actually support me that time. And uh, so I, I, I just tried to finish my grade 10 and look for York. That was my plan. And then after I was done, Luckily, the principal, which was at Spitzkobe, you know, I was schooling at Spitzkobe, and then I was also teaching there. So the principal uh, gave me a chance when one of the female uh, teachers were on leave. And that's how I actually get in teaching, and I was teaching for three years, I think, as an assistant teacher, because uh, the principal really do like that kids were improving in English mm -hmm. and that was how and then he wanted me also to um, qualify as an official teaching but then I couldn't get through when it comes to finance uh, yeah. so then luckily the time there was a company called Ongwe Safaris which was uh, French owners was French and even the guests was coming from France so they I started getting interesting in guiding because these guys were just using me as a road, uh, as a road guide, just to show them the roads around Tamaraland. And this is still colonial times. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, it was still colonial time. And then while I was still helping out that guys, you know, with independence, I saw Crazy Kudu as looking for a guide. I mean, an experienced guide. 
and then yes I just apply in writing and then he called me in for interview so we talk and I told him no I'm not really experienced but I have trouble with this company blah blah and then later on he suggests that I must go on a training trip with one of the guides which was guiding for him so I went with him twice and there was another friend of him which was also guiding for him so I went with his friend the third trip and then straight on that trip the guy told him no William can do the tour on his own that time we were only doing the 10 day explore mm. of Crazy Kudu and that's how I get in guiding with Crazy Kudu officially I started guiding 1997 with Crazy Kudu Safaris and then after I was done eight years with Crazy Kudu uh, then the two companies matched 2005, Crazy Kudu and Wild Dogs. And that's how I am in the hands of Wild Dogs today. So... It's almost 20 years. Almost 20 years guiding. Yeah. <laughs> so you've seen a lot. What, what uh, do you remember? What, what's the hardest thing about being a guide? Is it, I mean, you're driving a lot. Yeah. The, you're working all yeah, the time from yeah. morning Yeah, I mean, to that, that's part of... Uh, the work, you know, that's part of the job. You can't really say driving is the hard or whatever, but you come across a difficulties like um, different nationalities on the trip. So that brings uh, group dynamics, you know, you must be a yeah. little experienced how to handle that situations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And they you have animosity between people, people and they yeah. form groups. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, you must be careful what you talk to your guests. You know, you try to give them more information about the country, about whatever things. Uh, but when it comes to politics also, it's kind of a very sensitive issue mm. to just talk in front of the guests. You don't know from which nationality who is. And later on, sometimes you will bring a big conflict between yeah. the group as well. And um, yeah, sometimes you experience people don't really know about animals, you know. They don't know the boundaries of the animals. They want to just take a picture closer to an animal. So there are situations whereby as a guide, you know, always uh, you are kind of basic minded, you know. You, 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 there is no time for a guide to, to, to rest. Actually, you have to organize. So you have to wake up early morning yeah. before everybody else. Luckily, we wild dogs, we have assistants. Crazy good time, I was the one guide finished, Just no you. assistant, yeah. Wow. So you wake up early so that you can get the breakfast ready. And then after you can wake your, your clients. And most organizing is you. And then you have to sleep at late. Luckily, we, I've got an assistant, you know. So you must make sure that everybody is okay till the bedtime. So you are 24 hours in, in duty. Yeah. yeah. And then you have crises that come yeah. up. People get yeah. hurt. Yeah. I guess, I mean, one thing I would, I would worry about is uh, couples, you know, who are having fights. Yeah. And they're stressed because they're not used to sleeping in yeah. tents, and yeah. then they, they're yeah. contaminating everything. Yeah, everything. You know, sometimes, yeah, you get fights between the couples. Sometimes, I don't know, couples will come, and all of a sudden, maybe the men get in love with another 
<laughs> guys <laughs> traveling on the trip and it becomes uh, you know a personal issues where yeah. you as a guide can't really involved in that uh, but then you are the one which is leading them so yeah um, and you're sort of the only neutral neutral one yeah. and the other guests are coming to you and saying yeah. Willem you have to talk to them yeah and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah even this uh, morning when we were having breakfast uh, uh, sorry to mention that, but then she, Sabina, was smoking very close to the lady which was eating breakfast, Katya. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she didn't talk that time, but when she was gone, she told everybody about she didn't like that. And I said, it was better you yeah. tell her straight that time, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's things like, it's not really good to smoke in front of somebody, you know, on the face of somebody while you are yeah. enjoying your meal. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, and as you say, different cultures. Maybe Japanese, for example, they smoke everywhere and they don't think about they it. They don't think about it, and uh, even the way the Japanese will eat, everybody will hate how he chew the food. You know, all sorts yeah. of things. But then it's actually the culture of of the of the of the Chinese. So you can't really come and say, "Don't chew like that," you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to balance yeah. the, you have to, to accept the cultures of all these tribes you have or all these different tribes you have on in the group. Yeah. 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 There was one time I was having three ladies, only three ladies for three days, luckily only three days to the dunes. And the two ladies were, I think they were Dutch and one lady was Italian, the lady alone. So this lady started complaining that ladies are talking very loud and they only talk their language mm -hmm. so th she said she she don't like that but then one time she just stopped them she said no why are you talking that why don't you talk english and they said we are on our free time and uh, this is our language and this is how we actually communicate and then later on you know i try to solve the problem i call the lady, Italian lady one side and I said, no, this is the way. Anything you want to know about, you can talk to me, I will explain in English to you. But when they have their own private talks, don't worry with them, you know? Yeah. 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 Like that, yeah. And people, I mean, traveling is difficult anyway. Traveling with a friend is difficult because yeah. there's stress and you don't feel so good and you yeah. don't sleep and lots of yeah. hours. And yeah. But traveling with strangers, Yeah. I, I can imagine you get lots of difficult situations. Difficult situations, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, with the years I'm guiding, I have got experiences. And uh, according to that experience, you can handle something, you know. It's, you, you just let your mind relax on, from that situation and then just help in that situation whereby you can help, you know. But, uh, and then, it, and there's no privacy. Yeah, yeah. And then, if you're having a problem, yeah, you know, you get a phone call from home that yeah. someone's sick or That's there's a problem. One, yeah. Uh, then, uh, yeah. then, no one's yeah. helping you. you no know, no one's helping you. But still, you know, uh, as I told you, I lost my brother while I was on the trip, and uh, with that experiences, you know, you you can you can take things, you know, you can take things. Sometimes, you know, it's difficult if uh, the wife calls you and, and uh, tell you about uh, this is the problem, this is and this is, uh, yeah, that thing, it's something small, you know, you can still sort it out, you just leave it. 
But then when it comes to family passed away or you know issues like that, it's it's, it's difficult to to give more attention to your guest. You know, sometimes they will even look at your face and say, William, you are not the one which I knew on the beginning of the trip. And there is some stuff you can't really tell the, the guest, you know? Yeah. There is some t stuff which is your private. You can tell everybody, yeah, my mother passed away, yeah, what happens, you know? What? Yeah, then the people also are not really enjoying the right. trip, you know? Right. So some stuff, you just leave it for yourself. You can tell anything or everything to the guest, yeah. yeah. So what, uh, what sorts of difficult situations have you encountered over the years? I imagine you have corrupt police you have to deal with, yeah. paying money under the table. Yeah. You ever have a guest who got arrested or have to yeah. get them out of jail? No, I, was, I was having some situations, you know, we went to a, a roadblock and there was a, a German lady. You know, for now, I will actually say everybody knows that you are not allowed to take out a camera where you approach civil servants. Mm. So we came to a roadblock and this lady took pictures of the policeman through the window and this guy saw that she is taking pictures of him and it was like an hour, hour and a half delay. Mm. And then later on she said, yeah, the guy didn't told us, but it was the first day leaving from window. Mm. And then the rest of the people, they said, but uh, don't you know, you are not allowed to, to take a picture of the civil servant? No, I don't know. And luckily, you know, the police was in Owambo speaking and my assistant, which I was with, mostly our assistants are Owambo speaking. So he speak politely in Owambo with the men and then we get through with that situation. Another one was the guy which was really smoking marijuana mm. and heavy heavy you know and you know rules and regulations of uh, our companies are if you find somebody with marijuana in his bag or whatever or he's smoking marijuana in front of you must straight leave him on the road but then this guy I really feel messy for him my boss he said take that guy straight off now from my, my car but I took him to the next place where he can get a, a transport. You're supposed to just take him off the truck and that's, leave yeah, him by the yeah, side of the that's, road? That's the rules. Really? Yeah. That could be dangerous. Yeah. You leave him in the middle of somewhere with Some animals. Or with the animals, yeah. Huh. But luckily it was uh, somewhere in Damaraland and then we were facing Swagopmund. So I, I feel sorry for him. I said, no, this is the way I will take you up to Swagopmund from there. Maybe you will taken hitchhike back to Vinduk and then yeah. He was smoking on the truck? No, no, but he could, you know, everybody will smell he's smoking marijuana because he will go somewhere uh, maybe, but you know, very close to everybody, yeah. they will smell yeah. and he was having huge amount of marijuana and... Uh, and you're going across, well, maybe not that trip, going across borders. Borders, no, that one is just, just internal in Namibia, yeah. but it's, it's dangerous, you know, if the police catch you uh, with that, the first is me. Yeah. Yeah. You have first a problem. Is me. Yeah, I have a problem. Have you had um, guests who, who got hurt with animals or snakes? Or uh, I will say that's a good luck on all my trips. The only situation was a bee sting, which the woman was allergic to that. 
but by mistake in the coke, tin of coke, she left the coke open so the bee gets in and then she drinks and she was sting but um, I took it. She was also having some injections for the bee sting because she was allergic to that and then yeah but luckily in my years guiding I didn't have really problems whereby somebody was hurt no, by no, no and dangerous. No yeah. crocs took anyone yeah, under? No. No elephant attacks? Yeah. Maybe that's one of my good lucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I told you the other day when uh, the morning uh, game drive mm. in Chobe, I in think Chobe, it was. Yeah, yeah. The car yeah, broke down yeah. right next to elephants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could see. You don't want to see that the guide's mm. eyes are nervous. Yeah. And he was nervous. Yeah. Because the car wouldn't start and yeah. the elephants were looking at us. They were yeah. relaxed, but relaxed, still yeah. they were looking. Yeah, that's one good, th good thing of an elephant, you know. Elephant, you will see the behavior. He will stand still, open his ears, put the trunk on the ground. Then he is making sure that, is this intruding my boundary? What is wrong around me? They already know that there is something. But then if they see, you know, it's not noisy, it's on, it's, it's just there, then they will start relax again. Mm. But yeah. when they are nervous, you will see ears up, trunk up, then you must know that, okay, this is now time of decision taking, you know. Am I going to charge this or am I going to just leave him? But there is certain signs if you are really experience watching the elephant behavior that you will see you now he is now relaxed or he is still nervous or he is taking a decision what to do next and then the last one if you are still experienced with that is you will see he will pick up his trunk and touch the eyes and the glands and then move away mm. that's now the last decision he have taken he said ah this thing is just there it's very close to me but it's 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 not really coming to me so i'm gonna leave him in peace yeah. can they see well they are moderated, moderated eyesight they can only see 450 meters ah. uh, but very good sense of smelling and very good sense of hearing and is the smell in the trunk the smell um yeah the smell is in the trunk because they said it's the no uh, yeah yeah they smell in the trunk because they said the, 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 the trunk of an elephant it's not really sometimes people thought it's an extension of the nose but it's an extension of the upper lip uh, right because it doesn't they can't suck water straight through their trunk they yeah. pull it in and then they put yeah. it in their mouth. mouth yeah so it doesn't go into the oral cavity yeah no yeah yeah wow yeah they're, they're very beautiful good sense, yeah very good sense of smelling and very good sense of of um, hearing, hearing. Yeah, and they feel vibrations. Vibrations. They hear through ultraviolet, uh, ultraviolet, and then through echo, echo, echolocation. Echolocation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're uh, they're beautiful animals, and they, and they don't really have natural predators, so I guess they're not easily yeah. frightened. Yeah, I they mean, are lions will take babies. Yeah, right? lions will take babies, but uh, and they are quite friendly to the animals as well, you know. When we see they destroy, we just say they're destroying the trees, but it's not the situation. You know, they also think about the other small antelopes, which is browsers. 
So when they break the tree, it's not destroying the tree. They give chance for these browsers to come and feed on the tree as well. Because it lets, yeah. it breaks it down and yeah. they can eat the leaves. They can eat the leaves, yeah. yeah. And also it lets light come down so there's yeah. more small plants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. So uh, 20 years guiding, do you think you'll keep doing this for a long time? Um, as I told you, you know, the two companies match 2005 and my boss always I, I, I praise my boss you know he, he left the, 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 the business and uh, then you know in terms of guiding for a one company about that long years you supposed to be one of the senior guides and uh, then you know I will say I'm not really tired doing camping trips, but my body t tell, tells me, you know, it's mm. not Willem, which was 20 years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, doing more accommodated trips than camping should be really something little risky because of these long years I'm working for. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. And also yeah. probably you would be a good uh, person to train younger guides. That's that's one thing, you know. I am updating some of my subjects when it, uh, which is, we have got a, a NATH, which is a Namibian academic for tourism and hospitality. And uh, they are, uh, you can go through them studying some subjects. Uh, and. Uh, what I want to do is I want to complete that subjects and after all maybe I can train the younger guides that's yeah. what, what I'm thinking for yeah. for my future or either something small for myself and you do special specialized tours you're every time there's a bird you're naming it and yeah. you're doing the whistles yeah. and yeah. so you're a specialist in yeah. bird tours as I well. am also specialist in birding tours not yet papers on the table but when it comes to southern African part of the country I know the birds I know my birds um, uh, that's one of the subjects I wanna also upgrade yeah, yeah right. but I really can tell you by the sound mostly southern part of Africa uh, which bird that is you know I know where to find most of our endemics in Namibia and uh, that's that's my plan yeah, yeah good yeah. well listen if anyone out there wants to do a tour uh, make sure you ask for Willem if if you're available yeah this you're more than good. welcome yeah.